Welcome to the Christ Walk Podcast. At Christ Walk Church, we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. Enjoy the message. I brought some props this morning, just in case I get thirsty, you know. Um, how's everybody doing today? So good to see you guys. If you got your Bible, you got a smart device, um, I want to invite you to turn with me or swipe with me to the Old Testament, to the book of 2 Samuel. Um, 2 Samuel is, like I said, in the Old Testament, the Bible's divided into these two big sections, um, the Old Testament up front, the New Testament at the end, and 2 Samuel is actually a part of a book that was originally written on a scroll. It was one big, massive thing just about Samuel, and they divided it into two installments when they put it into Scripture. And so we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 16 together today, and we're going to start with verse one in just a moment. Um, my wife, Sarah, and I, in, in next month, as a matter of fact, we will have been married for 15 whole years. 15 whole years. Yeah, some of you are like, I can't believe, I can't believe that he has made it that long. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Um, you're probably thinking the opposite. I can't believe she's made it that long. How has she put up with him for 15 whole years. But um, during that time and being in ministry together, one of the things that we have done several times is move. And you know what? I hate moving. Moving is terrible. Can I get a witness in the house? I hate moving. You know what I hate worse than moving? Helping someone else move. I'm, I'm, like, can we just be honest? Like, I'm among friends, right? Like, I just hate helping other people move. And like, don't you dare just in, in, in case you, you need a warning or whatever, don't you dare ever buy a pickup truck. Because the second you purchase a pickup truck, you become like the designated mover for everyone else. Like, they come to you acting like you bought that truck just so you could help them move, right? Like you don't have anything else better to do on your Saturday than, you know, than to help somebody move. And anytime you go to help somebody move, you get there and you're like, nope, this is not how I would have done it. You know, it's like all disheveled and disorganized and everything. And they're trying to put the couch on the truck and they're doing it upside down and backwards. And it's just, it's difficult. And when you're family with somebody who's moving, like, there's just an unspoken, like, expectation. Like, you're obligated to kind of be there, you know, if you're, if you're family of someone that's moving. But, but whenever you do move, that's when you truly find out who your friends are. You know, you move in town, like, you know, from, from one place in town to the next place in town, like, the people that show up, not because they're related to you, but they show up because, because they chose to be there for reasons unbeknownst to me. Maybe it's because you offered them free pizza, you know, or something like that, but they chose to, like, those are your real friends. But sometimes you don't just move in town. Sometimes, like Sarah and I have done, you move, like, across country, like, across states, and that's when you find out who your enemies are. Because the people that show up, they're like, let's hurry up and get this truck loaded so we can get you on the road and get you out of here. Like you can't, you know, if you're just moving across town, they're like, ah, I'm still gonna have to see you. But if you're moving across country, they're like, hey, we can, sure we can help. What time? I'll be there early. <laughs> Free pizza, right? Have you ever 
had somebody that like you helped move, and this is the worst part to me, you, you helped them move, then it comes time for you to move. And all of a sudden, like they're busy that day. And you're like, I haven't even told you what day it was yet. You know, that's like, that's the worst is that when, when you help somebody to do something, you're there for them. But then when, when it comes down to it and, and when you need them to return that favor, they are nowhere to be found. How many of you have had people in your life like that, that they're around as long as there's something in it for them, something that they can benefit out of the relationship? As long as you're picking up the check, as long as you're babysitting the kids, as long as you're sharing the season tickets, you know, then they're there. But as soon as that stuff starts to go away, all of a sudden you look around, hey, we're so-and-so. You know, as long as you make the phone call, as long as you send the text, as long as you're the one that visits, the relationship stays intact. But then the second that you stop doing that, they never, ever reciprocate. Anybody ever felt like that before? Anybody ever experienced a relationship like that before? Well, today we're in part two of a series that we're calling Worst Day Ever, where we're taking a look at a story in the life of King David, one of Israel's most heralded kings. He wrote the majority of the book of Psalms, and we're looking at, at this, this negative time in his life with the hopes that we can mine out some truths from that story that we can apply to our own lives that will help us cope whenever we experience our worst day ever as well whenever we walk through a bad day or a bad season. And, and last week in part one, we talked about David and a time that he received some bad news because typically bad days or bad seasons, they all start with bad news. And we discovered through David's story that oftentimes bad news is rarely as bad as we believe it to be. And that whenever bad news comes our way, that because of Jesus, because of his work in our life, that, that we don't have to respond based on the, the facts. We don't have to respond based on our fears, but instead we can lean into our faith in those moments. And the truth is, at some point, you and I, Along the way, we are going to face a bad day. A bad season is just going to come our way. It's, it's, it's just part of life. And maybe some of you are walking through something like that right now. You're, you're, you're having a bad day. Maybe it's been a bad week. Maybe, maybe you're in the middle of what has just been a bad year. And whenever we find ourselves in the midst of turmoil like that, it can be easy for us to slip into the mindset or the belief that, that God is causing these things to happen to us. But in, in fact, Paul, in his letter to the Romans, he writes something that kind of helps us to understand, puts some handles on that to help us to grapple with that kind of mindset. And in Romans 8.28, Paul writes, and we know that God causes everything, but he doesn't stop there. He says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So what Paul is saying here is simply this. God doesn't cause everything. 
but he does cause everything to work together for good. And sometimes he may allow you or me, all of us, to experience something negative or undesirable in our lives to redirect us toward his purpose for us and to shift our focus back to his calling for our lives. And like I told you last week, I happen to believe that some of our worst moments can be God's best moments. And that is what this series is all about. And while last week we talked about the implications of bad news on our worst days, today I want to talk to you about relationships and specifically the role that a bad day or a bad season can play in the relationships that God wants for our lives. And before we jump into our passage for our reading for today, let me, let me remind you of what has taken place so far. David is king over Israel. And all of the sudden, he gets word from a messenger that his son, Absalom, who was a terrible human being, you can read his story in the earlier chapters of 2 Samuel, his son Absalom has issued a coup and is trying to remove David from the throne so that he can become king. And ultimately, his plan is to have his father killed. And so David is quickly trying to gather up some supplies and and get together with an entourage of a few trusted associates and get out of the city of Jerusalem so that he can escape being killed by his son. And that leads us up to today's passage in 1 Samuel, or I'm sorry, 2 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to start with verse 1. So let's jump into that together. My Bible reads like this. When David had passed a short way over the top of the Mount of Olives, Ziba, Mephibosheth's servant, met him. And Ziba had a row of donkeys loaded with 200 loaves of bread, 100 cakes of raisins, 100 cakes of figs, and leather bags full of wine. And the king asked Ziba, what are these things for? And Ziba answered, the donkeys are for your family to ride. The bread and cakes of figs are for the servants to eat, and the wine is for anyone to drink who might become weak in the desert. And the king asked, verse 3, where is Mephibosheth? And Ziba answered him, Mephibosheth is staying in Jerusalem because he thinks today the Israelites will give my father's kingdom back to me. So in, in case you're unaware of kind of what's taking place. Let me kind of help catch you up to speed a little bit on what is going on. David manages to make it out of town with this small band of trusted associates with some some friends of his, and, and he's now on the run to escape from being killed. And no doubt, trying to get out of the palace, to get out of the city, and to make it to a place of safety was, was hectic and chaotic, and, and they were just all scrambling, trying to avoid being killed. And so once they get out of the city and they arrive to a place of safety, David has kind of stopped with everyone in the group to kind of get a roll call or to, to, uh, to take a head count of everyone that's, that's with him in his little group to see what supplies they have and then to develop a plan of action for where they're going to go from this point forward. And then as he does that, he realizes that there's one person in particular that isn't there that probably should be, and that's 
Mephibosheth. Maybe you've never heard of this guy, Mephibosheth, before. He's got a really funny name. It's kind of hard to say. And his story is, is pretty obscure. It's just in a few, scattered over a few verses over the course of, um, of, of 2 Samuel. And, and so if you've, if you've never heard of this guy, let me, let me tell you who he is. He's actually um, the grandson of Saul. And Saul was the, the first king of Israel. He was the king before uh, David, and David's best friend was a man by the name of Jonathan. He was Saul's son, and so Mephibosheth is Jonathan's son. And Mephibosheth was a very young boy whenever David became king of Israel, when he took the throne from Saul. And so it was at that time that all of Saul's family that was left thought that David was going to have them Killed because that was kind of the, the, the common thing to do, that a, a new king that wasn't a part of the original bloodline would, would come to power, and then all of the family, the entire bloodline and everything, that, that king would have all of those people wiped out so that there would be no claim from any of the original bloodline to the throne. And so um, in, in, uh, when, when David became king, Saul's family, they, they fled into hiding so that they wouldn't be killed by David. And as I said, Mephibosheth, he was just a, a young boy, probably a toddler at the time. And, and um, he had a, a nanny or a nurse that was looking after him. And, and when they got the news that David had become king, the, the nanny scooped Mephibosheth up in her arms. And in her haste to, to run away and get into hiding, she tripped and she fell and she dropped Mephibosheth in the process. And it injured him. And the Bible said that because of that, that he, was, he became lame or was crippled in both of his feet. So he was unable to walk. And some years later, after David has become king, he discovers that Mephibosheth is still alive and is in a town not too far away. And so he sends messengers and invites Mephibosheth to come to meet him. Mephibosheth is afraid for his life, thinking that after all these years, he's finally been found out and he's going to be killed. But instead, David invites Mephibosheth to come and to live with him at the palace and to eat dinner every night at the king's table. In fact, we learn in 2 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 11, it says, So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. This is the kind of relationship that they had. This is the way that David looked at Mephibosheth. David had been incredibly merciful and generous toward Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth had accepted David's mercy and generosity with gladness, no doubt. But now it appears that since David isn't the king anymore, that Mephibosheth has no interest in being around David and has elected instead to remain in Jerusalem. And according to Ziba, that he stayed there with the hopes of finally having what is rightfully his restored to him because of his grandfather, Saul. Now, can you imagine in this moment how this must have made David feel? After all, he had spared Mephibosheth's life. He had given him a place to live. He paid extra all those times so that he could supersize his value meal. And after all of that, Mephibosheth stays behind in Jerusalem. David probably felt hurt. He probably felt betrayed. He probably felt used. And it was around this time that David wrote Psalm 55. 
And in verses 12 and 13 of Psalm 55, David writes this. It was not an enemy insulting me. I could stand that. It was not someone who hated me. I could hide from him. But it is you, a person like me, my companion and good friend. Whenever we're having a bad day, we just need someone to pick up the phone. We just need someone to listen. We just need someone to come and sit there beside us, put their arm around us and reassure us that it's all going to be okay. But often the worst part of a bad day or a bad season is how lonely it can make us feel. We look up, we look around, and we feel like everyone that we've been there for them during their moment, during their bad time, during their bad season, that all of a sudden they're nowhere to be found. But instead of us getting down in the dumps and and throwing a pity party today, it it would be easy for us to do that. If instead we'll shift our perspective just slightly, we will find that we can actually benefit from our bad days when it comes to the relationships in our lives. And the best way that I can think of to illustrate that is with milk, with matches, and with magnets. Milk, matches, and magnets. So if you're taking notes, maybe you need to write that down. Milk, matches, and magnets. And now let me explain. First, we'll start with the milk. Some relationships in our lives are just like this milk. They are good for a time. They are healthy for a time. They are nourishing for a time. But if you'll notice, they do have an expiration date. Like, have you ever gone to the fridge to pour a glass of milk and it's turned to cottage cheese? You know what I'm talking about? Or better yet, this is probably like all the men in the room have probably done something like this. You've gone to the fridge and you've looked around and you're like, my wife's nowhere around. She's not going to know. You get it? And you turn it up only to find out it's 12 days past the due date. You know know what I'm talking about? Like the expiration date. You know what I'm talking about? Like we've done that. See, sometimes the best thing to come out of a bad season is the realization that there's a relationship that needs to come to an end. It is crossed over the expiration date. It reminds me of this story that I heard about a lady who had passed away and they had her funeral at this church And when the funeral was over, the pallbearers got the casket. And as they were taking the casket out of the church, they accidentally bumped into the wall and it jarred the casket and they heard someone moan from the inside. And so they they opened the casket only to discover that this woman was still alive. And so she continued to live for, for 10 years beyond this until she finally really died for real. They had her funeral once again in the same church as the pallbearers were taking the casket out of the church, the close of the service, her husband stood up and said, look out for the wall. Some of y'all will get that on the drive home and you'll think, he's terrible. 
The truth is that most of the time, relationships aren't like that with us. Rather than letting them go, we try to hold on too long. Despite the fact that things have gone sour, despite the fact that it's no longer healthy or nourishing for us, we continue to pursue that relationship and we end up causing ourselves damage in the long run. See, our experiences in a bad season, they can help to filter out the people that aren't supposed to go with us to the next season. Now, when I talk about this, I don't mean this to come across as if somehow that I or or that, that any of us, that we're better than other people, that we're somehow superior than others that are in our lives. All I'm saying is that there there comes a time in some of our relationships that that they need to come to an end because we're simply in different places in our lives. Take my two kids, for example. Luke is a 13-year-old boy. Avery is a 10-year-old girl. Luke is in middle school. He's in our youth group. Avery is in elementary school. She is in our children's ministry. And so we're at this weird age, this weird kind of, kind of stage in our life within our home that there's, there's some things that, that Luke can do, some activities that he can participate in, some places he can go, or some things that he might be able to watch on TV or, you know, stuff like that, that Avery, she's still just too young to participate in. And, and vice versa, there's some stuff that Avery's in, into, and, and some stuff that she does that it, it wouldn't really be appropriate for a 13-year-old boy to participate in. And so they're just, it's not that, that Luke is better than Avery or Avery's better than Luke. It's just that they're simply in different places. And sometimes it takes a bad season for us to realize that we're just in a different place than some of the other people in our lives. And that we may need to cut ties with that relationship. You know what? It's never an easy thing to do. Oftentimes, it is painful. But sometimes, it's necessary. Maybe it's the loss of a job. Maybe it's a breakup. Maybe it's a person or a group of people that you just stop hanging out with. But when we lean into that pain and we're willing to sever the relationship, it can allow us to shift our dependence from that place or that person and open up a new dependence where we can lean into God and what he has for us in the next season and that we can take a step toward health. So the first kind of relationships that our bad days can reveal to us are like, Milk and the second kind of relationships are like matches. Some relationships in our lives are like matches in that they can spark something new to take place. They can spark something new. Bad days or bad seasons can help make us open to change. And sometimes that change will come to us in the form of a new relationship and one that is God-ordained. There's probably a lot of people that are here today or perhaps tuning in with us online that you made the choice to come to church or you made the choice to tune in today. You made the choice to commit your life to Jesus Christ because once upon a time, you experienced a difficult season in your life and you turned to God for help and hope. But if it weren't for that rough stretch that you had to walk through, if it weren't for that struggle that you had to endure, chances are you would never have considered making the change 
in the first place. It's the same way with our relationships. Sometimes God will cause one relationship to end so that then we will become open to a new relationship that earlier we wouldn't have considered or perhaps wouldn't have given any time to. Couldn't have been, or it could have been something that we didn't even realize that we needed in the first place. But when that relationship, when, when the milk goes sour and that relationship ends, it opens us up to something new that God wants to do in our lives. And if you're here today and you find yourself in the middle of a difficult season, I want to encourage you to take a look around. Maybe take a look around this room. Maybe take a look around your circle, the people that are a part of your life right now. And God is likely providing you with an opportunity for a new relationship to begin. It could be in the form of a mentor who's, who's going to serve as a guiding voice as you walk through this next season. Maybe it's a new friend that will be able to see you for who you are now instead of who you once were. Maybe it's a, a new employer or a new business partner. Maybe it's a new boyfriend or girlfriend that, that you meet here at the church instead of out at a nightclub. On and on and on. All kinds of scenarios. And you know what one of the number one questions I get as a pastor of a church? It's this. How can I get further connected to people and further connected to the life of the church? I get that question a lot. And, and what that question reveals to me is that many of us, many of you, you're open to new relationships in your life. You're open to there being a new spark, but you're not quite sure how to go about making that happen. Well, allow me to provide some assistance with two surefire ways that you can get further connected with other people and further connected into the life of the church. The first one of those is to join a serving team. You know what our serving teams are made up of? This might be a surprise to you. You know what they're made up of? People. So when you join a team, you're joining in with other people. And that automatically translates into relationships. Plus, you get to have a lot of fun engaging in and helping to fulfill the mission and vision that God has placed on this house. And, and you, you know what I see on the faces of, of the people in our serving teams as they serve other people? You know what I often see? Smiles. Because serving others is awesome. And it makes you feel good. And so if you're not on a team, what are you waiting for? Like, this is a great way to meet people and have a good time. So join a team. There's a place for you here at Christ Walk. Guest services, band, worship, media, kids walk, small group leader. Like, we'll make up something for you if it means that you'll join a team. We'll find a spot that meshes with your gifts and your skills and your abilities because we believe in it so much. That's a great way to meet other people and have fun in the process. And then all of a sudden, you get to know people that you've sat beside or across the room for for years. You don't even know them by name. And all of a sudden, you get in a circle with them and you start to serve. And it makes all the difference. So join a team. The second thing is join a small group. This also may come as a surprise, but our small groups are actually comprised of people just like our serving teams. 
And when we trace the story of humanity all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, we learn that God created us to be in community with other people. He looked at the man and said, it is not good for man to be alone. And then we fast forward to the New Testament. And you know what Jesus did when he was here on this earth? He led a small group. It was him and 12 other dudes. They did life together. They served together. They ate together. They talked together. And then we fast forward a little bit further. Jesus ascends to heaven and, and, and the disciples are left, the followers, they're left to establish the, the, the early church. And do you know what they did? They established small groups. The Bible tells us in the book of Acts that they, they met together in each other's homes and they, they broke bread, they ate meals together, they worshiped together and they prayed together and they shared in life together. It's through small groups. In just a few weeks, we're gonna be kicking off a brand new small group semester for the fall. And I can't think of a better way for you to spark a new relationship in your life than to jump into a small group and, and be a part of a, of a circle that is doing life together. Get in someone's living room, meet up at a restaurant with a group of other people and, and get involved just doing life together. And inevitably, there's, there's someone, there's at least one, oftentimes it's more than that. There's at least one person that'll, that'll say something like, well, you know, I would be in a small group, but there's not a group for people like me and the things that I'm interested in. Well, if you'll allow me to be your pastor for a minute and to challenge you, that's God giving you an opportunity to start a new small group for people like you and the things that you're interested in. So don't just sit there and wait on someone else to make it happen. You make it happen and you be the catalyst and you just might find that someone will jump into that group with you and you could form a relationship that will continue from here until Jesus calls you home. Because that's how we were designed. And just so that you're all aware, it is both my dream and my goal that 100% of the people that attend this church are part of a small group. I believe that it's that important. I believe that it's biblically mandated. I believe that it's part of God's design for us and for the church. And here's what I've observed, not just about the people of this church, but just about church people in general. The happiest, healthiest, most fulfilled people in the church are those that do three things. They attend church regularly, they serve on a team, and they belong to a small group. And, and in fact, I, I would wager that 99 times out of 100, that when someone is feeling lonely or uncared for, or when they get upset and leave the, leave the church, that it's because they aren't doing one or more of those three things. Attending regularly, serving on a team, they belong to a small group. It really is as simple as that. So if you're open to new relationships and, and what God might be wanting to do in your life in this next season, I mean, show up and serve and be a part of doing life with other believers. And I promise you, just try it. Try it for one semester and you'll never go back. You'll never go back. Now check this out. 
In the Gospel of John, the Bible describes Jesus as a shepherd and it describes us as sheep. And the funny thing about sheep is that they will never move unless the shepherd forces them to. So sheep will literally eat all the grass in a pasture and then start to eat the dirt that is below that grass rather than move on to a new pasture full of new grass. So oftentimes the shepherd will have to use his rod to guide the sheep and direct them towards new grass in a different pasture. So could it be that maybe the difficult season, the, 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 the struggle that you and I might be facing right now is, is God's way of using his rod to direct us to be open towards something new in our life, a new relationship that, could, that he, he might want to bring about or that could be forming in us. And so what God is saying is stop sitting here and eating the dirt. I have something better and different for you and you need to go over here and be open to this thing over here. But here Here's what I know. Nothing changes if nothing changes. So if you don't like what you're getting right now, don't think that you can continue to do the same thing and get a different result. That is the definition of insanity. You got to be open to the new thing that God is wanting to do in your life. And I just happen to believe that it could be through the match of a new relationship that God is wanting to spark in you that can make all the difference. So our relationships are like milk. Some of them are like matches. Some of them are like magnets. Some relationships are things that we are drawn to because of something that we have in common, right? Nothing gives us sympathy or empathy Thank you for joining us. We hope you were inspired by the message. For more information, visit www.thechristwalk.com.